My name is Harrison Wheeler, and this is the Technically Speaking Podcast. I sit down with BIPOC designers, entrepreneurs, and technologists. We discuss careers, triumphs, their resilience, and the why behind their decisions. Before we get started with the show, I just wanted to plug our Patreon. If you like what you're listening to and you want to support the podcast, for as low as $3, you can contribute monthly to help support the production of the show. You can contribute today by heading over to patreon.com slash technically speaking HW. I'll also include the link in the show notes. Our guest today is Stephen Green, located in Portland, Oregon, CEO at Kids Book About, advisor of startups and founder of Pitch Black, and so much more. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Harrison. Happy to be here today, man. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah. How's everything going on with you and, you know, you know the summer months and all that? Post-COVID. Yeah. You know, still figuring out the post-COVID thing. I think it's just a new world. I don't know if we're, we're post anything yet, but we got, we got three kids at home. So, you know, getting, getting ready for all the sports, getting ready to start in the fall. Yeah. Past projects and, you know, start looking running the startup so putting in the work every day i don't know, I know where weekends are quite right now but uh yeah that out of time so really yeah finding that balance yeah balance is key yes sir balance is key yes sir even on the the covid thing, we were just kind of catching up when i got back from asia i got covid mm-hmm. along with probably 20 other people that i know yeah so it's definitely going to be something that's recurring oh yeah oh yeah we avoided it for two years and then everybody in the house got it in may so yeah, uh, just a matter of time. Yeah. Yeah. Thankful we had vaccine. You know, otherwise yeah. it's a lot worse, I imagine. Yeah. Well, hey, look, I wanted to to start the show with yeah. a few icebreakers to get to know you before What's we up? dig into all the questions. What's up? You know, the, the first one that I have is how would people describe you? you know, I think people that live here in Portland would probably say, you know, Stephen knows everybody. And I think it's it's a function of I've lived here pretty much my whole life. And I'm a, a person that just kind of gobbles up relationships and uh, mm-hmm. community and, you know, fields around starting things and bringing people together. So, you know, I'm, I'm a guy that knows a guy that knows a gal that knows a, a person. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, that does a thing. So I think that's probably what you say. Yeah. Is that sort of how you've always been? Like, how did you get to be that? that kind of person yeah you know i think one it's a function of grew up here in detroit so two polar opposites and, and it's five boys mm. when my parents have seen you know you guys can figure out you know portland beaverton in the 80s 90s um and also east side of detroit you know anywhere else you live is going to be somewhere in the middle when they were right and so you know i got really really good at observing people and being mm. in a situation that people look like me probably aren't in very often but when you're a kid you don't know that you just you just know right you know your, your friend said you're doing a thing and so you're going somewhere and so you know i was i was like you know competed in a rodeo when i was a kid and it's because my best friend was you know he did rodeos so i was like all right i guess yeah. I do rodeos you know and then you start folding that together as you get to an adult just like you know i love i love bringing the homies together and uh, and doing things yeah. in the community yeah and life's really about spending it with other people so 100%, 100%. All right. Next question. Sir, what are you currently obsessed with? Um, there's a new show on Apple TV called Little America. And I really just love the way it's put together. 
So every episode is a completely new story and every story is a, a nonfiction story about a different yeah. person who is living in America and, you know, an immigrant here from some other place mm. that weaves their story around, you know, what, you know, what we think about when we think American, but also how these people bring their culture with them. And so, so yeah, it's a surprisingly great show. Apple TV. Yeah. 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 All right. So the last one, I know, I know you're a sneaker addict or maybe you're a former <laughs> sneaker addict, or maybe kind of tell us like, what are, what would you consider like the three grail shoes any shoe collector yeah. have in their closet? So yeah, I, so I wouldn't describe myself as a sneaker addict. If you grew up in Portland, you grow up around sneaker ring, either you yeah. market Nike or Adidas or your E-Bones or your parents through them. So, you know, I literally grew up a mile away from like these world campus. And so, you know, we were always inundated shoes as a kid and when I interned there and when I was in contact with her for 10 plus years. So, you know, I've, I've got 200 plus pairs of shoes that I don't think I paid for maybe a dozen of them probably. Yeah. But it just, it's part of like air here in, in Portland, it's your, your proximity to, to shoes. And so other people choose, I guess, the three stripes. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Nike kind of guy in relationships. Yeah. Have three grail shoes. So one would be the Air Zoom 95, which is a basketball shoe. My dad and I were really, really close. Freshman year college, he invited me on a whim to go watch a Blazer game with him. And walk me in, our sheet, JR Ryder was wearing these amazing, crazy, mm. bug looking shoes. Yeah. And so that's, that's one. Two would be the Nike Air Hirachi, Tedek mm. Portland version. I spoke at Tedek okay. Portland in front of 4,000 people back in 2017. Yeah. And now um, they do a shoot each year of Tedex. And so that was the shoot for uh, that year. And then the third one, you just kind of go with, you know, pick your flavor of Air Force One, dress yeah. up, down, skate with it, whatever you want to do. Probably the, I'll go the LA Defiant colorway that changes colors as you, you know, wear them down over time. Yeah. But you can't go wrong with those shoes. Oh, well, for listeners, we'll, we'll post links to these shoes in the show notes. So you yeah. have an idea of what they look like. There you go. I know what they look like, there you go. but yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And by the way, getting shoes for free, 200 pairs of shoes for free. I mean, I think you pay for them or not. That's, that's still quite a collection. Uh, and we're. It, it used to be much bigger. I mean, it's all relative. I know people that have, you know, storage spaces filled with thousands of pairs. Yeah. So it's all, it's all relative. Um, yeah. Buy houses with shoes. Yeah. So, so look, I, I want to kind of focus a bit on sort of like your story and would love for you to kind of let us know, how did you kind of come to being where you are today, being an entrepreneur investing? Maybe give listeners a, a little bit of that. Like you're, you're actually one of the first guests that's not centered around sort of design or research. And so I think, you know, folks having your perspective, you know, it, it would be very, very beneficial and an opportunity for folks that are potentially looking to do their own thing to get that itch. Gotcha. Gotcha. I guess I'll start by saying that, you know, I think there's very few things that are more gratifying than checking an idea that you have at your kitchen table and finding mm -hmm. a complete stranger 3,000 miles away will we'll pay money for you know, that, mm -hmm. that thing that you came up with. You know, your neighbors lie to you, your partner lies to you, grandma lies to you, <laughs> but that person in Boston who's never met you, who will never meet them yeah. spending their hard-earned money. Um, you know, he thinks about that in my mind. I think life's like most of them, you know, it started with my parents. So both my parents were, were entrepreneurs while I was growing up. My mom started 
a tech company. My dad worked for Intel for a long time before starting his own HR company that his main client was well, Intel. And he used to tell me and my brothers, like, oh, there's two kinds of people in this world, those who sign the front of the check and those who sign the back. And so signing the front of the check means you, you own something. When I got my first chase of that when I was in college, like my last two years of college, got my degree in economics. My last two years of college, like I paid for it using money that I, mm. I sold sneakers online. Yeah. I made about 30 grand in one summer selling sneakers and wow. continued that through until I was done with school. And so the, the seed was, was planted and I didn't know it was owning my own business. I just knew a little hustle that I could give you that I could flip it and flip some more and, and keep on going. Yeah. And so it was, it was great. And then um, straight into banking and finance. So I got my degree in economics, went straight into the investment world, got all my licenses and stuff and started navigating towards working with founder. And so I, I loved mm. working with early stage founders who were, were just building things, you know, people that had successful careers always had this gift that they were trying to, to get done. And yeah. What I find with most founders is they're really, really great at working in the business, not so great at working on the business. And so, mm. you know, a lot of food and beverage people here in, in Portland really love to, to craft things. Uh, and I think you can mm. find people that make the best coffee in the world, but don't know anything about right. cost and goods sold, you know, don't know mm. anything around reading a lease or, you know, what to pay people, or how to check their finances. And that was the stuff that always came easy with me. And so, you know, my career in finance and banking was, was really spent, you know, helping these founders early on kind of figure out like, Hey, continue to be great and a master at making coffee. I'll help you figure yeah. out the business side of it. And, you know, as my career went on, I, I realized I like being around when things are early. And you know, I like getting the plane off the ground versus once the plane's at 35,000 feet, you know, kind of cruising, fishing out a lot of excitement from there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it feels like kind of like the perfect storm, if you will, right? You know, obviously being in the finance, thinking about kind of startups in Portland being the capital of just so many businesses, it's really sort of the perfect storm. Maybe kind of tell us like, what what's the type of impact that you had? Is it something that you expected to have when you started out? You know, or has it sort of been like, you know, you expected it to kind of go this way? You know, I didn't expect to be in finance. I was the kid yeah. that made spreadsheets out of my baseball card collection when I was 12, not even knowing yeah. what spreadsheet was, was marking mm -hmm. on graph paper and, and slotting things. Yeah. You know, I think at the end of the day, like I'm such a, I really always yearn for being part of community. And I yeah. found out early my contribution to community is, you know, helping make things work and, you know, helping people fix their problems and fix problems they didn't even know that they had when they're, when they're founders. I think uh, a lot of that just stems from the fact that, you know, I, I love being part of, yeah. you know, I know I definitely get that from my dad when I was eight. There was a big thing that happened on Mount Hood here, right outside Portland, where some teachers went up with some students. They got caught on a mountain. Unfortunately, some of the people passed away, but I remember the day that mm. they missed missing. They went missing. My came home and my dad was packing his to-go bag to go camping or something like that. And I was like, where are you going? And um, he's like, I'm going to Mount Hood. I was like, well, we were supposed to do something today because I'm eight. Oh, no. See? And he's like, well, there's people missing on the mountain. So I'm going to go look for them. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, why? And he was like, well, in order to be found, someone's got to be looking for you. And so I'm going to mm -hmm. go look. When they end up finding half of the, the group still alive. But, you know, that impressed upon me that we, we have to play very active roles in the right. community that we want to see. And that right. doesn't mean big things. That doesn't mean innovative things. That means showing up. Right. And so I think mm. when I look back in my career, you know, the big stuff that I've done is just grains of sand that, you know, you, you pile up over years and decades. Hopefully mm. it means something to somebody, but you know, just as much as yeah. I hope people have gotten from it, I've gotten, you know, tenfold because being part of people's stories is, is really, really yeah. gratifying and being able to tell yeah. those stories of, you know, I remember when, I don't know, 
you had that yeah. crazy idea. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Maybe kind of paint the picture like you, you did mention. It doesn't have to be a super grandiose sort of idea. Maybe kind of paint the picture like what have been some of the success stories that you have and, and like what are the size of these and ideas of some of these sort of businesses or startups? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll give perspective, you know, so for, for Pitch Black, it's a, you know, Shark Tank-like event that we do around the country. Started yeah. here in Portland in 2015. We've done six events here in Portland. Over 60 yeah. people have gone on to pitch at the event. In uh, seven years since we started it, those businesses have gone on to raise over $45 million for their business in that time period. And I want to think part of their success lies in them getting in front of their community and saying, I have an idea and I have something that I think will solve things in our lives. And, you know, someone or someone's at those events going and saying, we believe in it. I think you can do that. And I think, you know, that's the hardest thing to do in becoming a founder is just starting, right? Like, you know, 99.9% of people have these great ideas in their mind. They just never trigger. And so I think a big piece of Pitch Black success and the impact we've had with founders is you know, putting them center stage and planting that seed for, wow, like this isn't just a good idea in my mind, but like people in my community that I don't even know, like right. beyond. I'm going to put this forward. And so, right. you know, I want to help people, you know, become folks that, that sign the file check. You know, instead of just the battery right. check, even if it's for, you know, a limited amount of time. Sure. There's so many talented folks that are working at great companies like Intel and Nike, and they don't realize they could be, you know, amazing, you know, entrepreneur. Yeah. And so, you know, I always feel like it's, it's kind of my charge to help people explore that and figure out what that looks like. For yeah. Them. Even if it's only a momentary thing and they go back to the corporate life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, you mentioned Pitch Black. I mentioned it earlier, maybe give folks an idea of what Pitch Black is, what's the mission and and what's sort of next for for that. Yeah. Pitch Black's in the back here with 2015. Shark Tank was really popular. One of the other businesses I started was a, a brew pub and brewery here in Portland. We have a really big convening space there. And so I was like, man, what would be a cool thing to do for community? Because at the time, the new census numbers came out, and um, the city of the U.S. census Portland was home to more than 3,000 Black-owned businesses in 2015. But that number just blew me away. I had no oh, idea. Like, I, I thought I knew a lot of Black-owned businesses, but I just had no idea. And so I was like, man, I, I bet there's a lot of people that are also like me that don't know the scale or, or have a different perspective right. of what it means to be a, a Black business owner. Well, right. But I can go find 10 and, and put them on stage. And instead of having, you know, stuffy investors, I can just have the audience pick the winner and then maybe mm. we'll, we'll raise a little money. So, you know, the first one we did, you know, I figured 20 people would show up and it was a free event. So, you know, it, it didn't cost me any money. Yeah. And 80 people show up. We raised 800 bucks that people just like donated towards the winners trending on Twitter and it was really, there was an energy in that room that I'd never felt before. And so, you know, the first event was a ton of fun, but there was an energy in the room that was great. And more, much more important than the, the money was the interactions and like the relationships that I saw forming in that room, of, you know, 80 hmm. people. And so from there, I was like, Hey, find a couple of sponsors, we can get some money out of it. And yeah. at its most basic point, you know, what we do with the event is we introduce black entrepreneurs to the ecosystems that they're already in new ecosystem. So when we go into right. events in Philadelphia, we take a couple of founders with us from Portland. And it's a really big deal to take someone out of their, their home city yeah. and go talk about their business in another place. Because, you know, I think at some point we tell ourselves internally, like, okay, this, this could only work in, in Hayward. This could only work in Portland. But to go to Philadelphia, 3,000 miles away, we're strangers. Like, bro, you should do that here. You should three of them. And I can help you. And this is who you should talk to. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It just takes people to the next level in their thinking. 
in planning that maybe otherwise wouldn't happen, you know, fast enough time if forever. Yeah. And so we built on that, you know, the last one we just did in February, 400 people came. There's a wow. while we raised over a hundred thousand dollars and gave it away that night to the winner. So it's, it's something I mm. completely volunteer. I don't take any money out of it myself, but it's just an amazing community event where, you know, investors, bankers, you know, people from media come and they know they're going to meet some, some amazing founders and some do that across yeah. the country and in different places. It's been really great. Yeah. Where can people learn more about it? Pitchblockpdx.com. Okay, cool. So maybe kind of take us to that origin. I mean, one of the things I want to really kind of touch on is just, you know, your identity being black and Latino and working in this space. Like what has that experience been for you and what has that experience been for other founders? And is that really kind of the impetus around kind of starting this? Yeah. I mean, you think growing up with a very Puerto Rican mom who identifies as black and Latina and the black dad from Detroit, but very Southern roots of Alabama where his parents were from. You know, my parents always instilled in us like you are Steven at the end of the day. And my people outside of this family are going to want to put you into a box or peg you this or peg you that. Mm -hmm. And that's just the reality of the world. And so, yeah. you know, I, I'm really thankful that, you know, I had an identity outside of the house, but I also had an identity yeah. in the house where I was completely comfortable, you know, being who I was. And as I've become an adult, it's been shocking to folks to find out that I'm Latinx. Then somehow intersectionality doesn't, you know, move beyond gender very often, it seems like. Yeah. But there's, there's a fresh perspective that I feel folks like us have folks on the world. That needs to be in more industries because yeah. in a lot of industries, there's always been a lens of dominant culture yeah. and what, you know, folks like us got into finance. My first job in, in the financial world was, I was a financial advisor. I had cornrows and, you know, I think about it now and I'm like, yeah, that, that's why I think about the lens of my mom. It's like, man, you, you just did all this stuff to get through college and now your first job, they're going to wear cornrows. Yeah. But that was me being me and it worked out really, really well. And I learned a ton. Yeah. And I want more people to be able to be themselves in all the situations that they want to be in and feel comfortable, yeah. you know, being a, a nerd about data like I am, as opposed to conforming to some sort of trope that we're supposed to fall into. Right. And I think oftentimes that, that brings us to starting our own business. Right. I think we do all this work, going to school, making, you know, building social capital that ultimately kind of limits some of our options as opposed to expanding a lot of our options. And I think entrepreneurship yeah. is that one thing where it's like, no, like you get to choose. Like if you right. want to start a grocery store, like you can start a grocery store. You want like a grocery store. store. Yeah. If you want to start a tech company, like you can do that. Right. Yeah. Versus, you know, well, you went to this school and you got this degree. So you kind of, your paths are limited. So I, I like the possibility that exists inside of entrepreneurs. Yeah. For, for yeah. folks like us who are used to being, you know, having a first perspective, dealing with adversity, feeling overlooked, surveying our environment. I'm an amazing people watcher. And that's because I grew up around all white folks and then, you yeah. know, a community that had a lot of gang members and, and dangerous things yeah. happen. So I'm always, yeah. you know, looking around and that helps me as an adult today. Yeah. So I want to talk about like starting a business. Would you say that like, the tools available today make it more accessible oh. and easier to start than previously. Oh, yeah. Now is the easily by far the cheapest, quickest time to ever start a business. Like, yeah. if I went back 
you know, when I started my banking career, you couldn't register online your business. You couldn't get a tax ID number, all these things, but you, you had to have a lawyer help you do that. And you get it through the mail and it took right. a long time versus today. If you and I wanted to start a business, you and I could start a business literally right now in 10 minutes. I could have a right. tax ID number for us. I could have us registered in Oregon and in California. And, you know, we can go get domain names and be, you know, we can have a website up and down. Oh, right. Yeah. And spend less than 400 bucks. Boom. Yeah. So like, we'd be legit. Go and start yeah. a bank, you know, all that stuff. Um, yeah. And so now I, I really do feel like, you know, now is the most opportune time to be able to start a bank. Now, does that mean, does that mean the business is going to be successful? <laughs> no. Um, the you know, million dollar question. Yeah. yeah. And I think for a lot of founders, they, you know, we're in this moment right now where we've over glamorized, you know, entrepreneurship. Right. And, right. Uh, you know, my, and, point, in what sense? I, in the sense of, um, VCs were not popular in 2016. There was not, right. There was not a, a, a good thing to add that to your profile on Twitter. Right. Mm. As opposed to now, um, you know, fast company oracles, all these things, you know, if someone goes and goes and raises $250,000 from investors, they get a fast company. Oracle. If they get a loan from right. a bank for two fifty, nothing. Right. Yeah. And so it leads, um, people who haven't been founders to think raising money is validation of the idea, even though I've mm. never sold something to a customer. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to go into that a little bit. So, because you clearly, you feel some type of way about it. So is it a situation where, yeah, let, maybe kind of break that down. Cause I'm trying to understand, like, is this a situation where people are unproven and they, is it because they have access to those VCs and they can raise that money versus some people that actually have a great idea, but they have to go through other means. Maybe yeah. try to unpack that a little. Yeah. So I'll break it down by numbers, right? So in a, in a typical year, 99.7% of U.S. businesses raise no equity capital of any kind, right? And yeah. It's not because those are bad businesses. It's because the tool of equity is a very myopic tool that should only be used in a certain situation. If you went and looked at the prevalence of articles that are written out there around startup, overwhelmingly, it's about who's raising money. Right. But if you get back into it and you go and say, okay, well, what's the average, what's the average person do? Right. Well, yeah. average thing to do is to go to this thing called customers and you get money from them. They do that over time. Yeah. Right. Less than 70% of us businesses ever get a loan. Right. Hmm. So the so majority are like bootstrapping yeah. for the most part. Bootstrapping. Yeah. yeah. That is the average general hmm. thing that you do. Right. And yeah. the problem with bootstrapping means you have to talk to customers. And customers have right. to be the smart work, the validator. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's more work. You're figuring out competition. You're figuring out your cost of goods right. sold. You're figuring out whether you make a profit or not. Right. And if you're bootstrapping, yeah. you can't be losing money. Right. Right. Well, or, or for long. Right. And so I feel like we've gotten in this moment of time where it's over glamorized and people want to flex on Twitter, mm -hmm. but are they building anything? Right. Are they solving a problem for a community? You know, what's the, the market that they're trying to, to take? Who are they trying to take right. it from? How are they doing that, you know, better over time? 
all these questions that go into, you know, the, the fundamentals of, of running a successful business have been usurped because of the popularity of, of raising money, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe some of these people go and raise money, but oftentimes it just prolongs the inevitable if you haven't been focused right. on who that customer is, if you haven't been focused on who right. your competition is, if you haven't been focused on, you know, building a team that's, that's you know, well-rounded and, and fills out gaps that you have. Yeah. You know, raising the investment which buys you some more time, but you're still going to have the same conclusion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, people so, have more protective around that. Yeah, so, so on that note, like, what would you consider sort of like the core kind of tenets or principles of, of starting a business or running a business? You know, I always tell people solve a problem. What problem do you want to solve? Right. So if they can't yeah. answer that, what we ultimately end up getting into is, well, I don't want to be popular or I want to grow my following. Yeah. Right. I want to be seen as a founder. Yeah. I want to achieve yeah. the cloud. But yeah. if you know the problem you're willing to solve, you want to solve, you'll not only be the CEO, but you'll also be the janitor. Right. That's the reality yeah. of running a business is, right. yeah, maybe you get to do the interviews on Monday, but on Tuesday, you're, right. you know, in the cleaning the toilet, right? Because that mm. has to happen on Tuesday morning. And so I, I always ask people, you know, what problem do you want to solve? How committed people are you solving that problem? And then from there, we can start talking about who's your customer, who buys this from you, right? Because like, if it's something that it only solves a problem for you and no one else, that's a hobby and we all need hobby, but don't go on dead. Don't lose your girl over hobby, right? Yeah. And so, you know, then it's like, all right, so my grandma said, she liked it. All right, grandma lied to you. Let's go and find yeah. out and, and validate some other, some real customer persona, people you don't know. And then yeah. once you validate them, let's see if they're, okay, they like your thing. Why are they willing to pay for it? Oh, uh, yeah. they're not willing to pay for it. All right, we got a problem. For trying something else yeah. to monetize, or they're only willing to pay this, and my competitor offering at this price, right, which is way lower than mine. All right. Well, mm. at least you've got a competitor that's validating the market exists. Now you got to right. figure out what you know is differentiated about your product, right? And price is one part of the battle, right? And I can never compete with Nike on price, right? Because they're sure. a big, huge company. Yeah. What I can mm. compete with them on is my connection to community and the culture and authenticity mm. and agility to move quickly. Right. And so I think those are the, 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 the road that I always try and get, you know, people that are thinking about starting a business to go down is to be thinking about those six or seven things that you always have to be thinking about. And then ultimately it comes down to like also, you know, define your mission, vision, values, right? You yeah. Know, your vision is that horizon that you'll never get to, but that's the thing you're pointing the car, the boat toward. Your mission is the path that you go along around the, the way. And then the values are the, the human decisions that are done along the way. Yeah. You know, a great example of that is Johnson and Johnson in the, in the early eighties, they make Tylenol. There was, I think it was 83, like six people around the U S died taking Tylenol. And back mm-hmm. then we didn't have the federal drug administration. We didn't have recalls and Johnson and Johnson got together and said, well, look, what are our values? And one of their values was do no harm. And they said, clearly our product's doing some harm, so we're going to pull it. And they lost tens of millions of dollars pulling their product. But in doing that and choosing to go with their values, they made them billions of dollars in the long term because, you know, of what ultimately ended up coming from that decision. But it was yeah. a horrible financial decision. Like that was a horrible, like the guy with the spreadsheets or the gal with the spreadsheets must have lost their mind when they said that. Because, you know, 10 million wrapped up and we don't even have to do it. Why? Crazy. But right. values are back then. A million was a lot of money back then. For sure. For sure. Yeah. 
you know, that, that vision, mission, values is a, is a very important thing. That's the thing that's going to steer you yeah. as you go by. And, you know, I, I think the, the hardest thing is starting a business. And then when you're early on, it gets a little easier and then it gets tough once you get a little popular. Right. And I yeah. think if you don't have that vision, mission, values, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll say yes to everything or you'll say no to everything. Right. Or she's right. being able to have that, that lens with which you, you view all these different opportunities and people that you partner with and the people that you don't partner with. I mean, that's all, you know, been really key for us at a kid's company about where, you know, we, we say no to partnerships where it's like, that's cool. You've got a lot of money to throw away, but that doesn't align with our value. Yeah. It's an easy no. Yeah. Maybe tell us about like a kid's book about. Oh, yeah. that all. Well, that all started. So a kid's book about our founder, the long memory. I have six kids. I've only got three. I'm slipping. I got to get, get my life together. Um, <laughs> only. Yeah, right. Just back in 2019, he wrote a book for two of his daughters. Kids book about racism. That was just a gift for them. He's a, he's a creator mm-hmm. by nature. And so he made this yeah. book to help them have conversations around race. He's got a blended family, white kids, mm-hmm. black kids in his family. And it was a gift for them. And they immediately, when they received the book, said, well, what's the next book? We should do one on ice yeah. cream. We should do one on divorce. We should do one on rear. And he's like, no, this was just a gift for you. And he came to me and a couple other folks. And, and we were all like, no, this is a great idea. Like, I, I wish. I yeah. had these books when I was, you know, when my kids were young. And so from there, the idea was born and it, it's really, we empower adults to have, you know, tough conversations with the kids in their life. And so whether it be a kid's book about racism or a kid's book about the Tulsa race massacre, kids book about being inclusive, we help uh, mainly millennial adults navigate yeah. conversations with, with the kids in their life, whether it be their own kids in their house, kids at their school, the neighbor kid, big brother, big sister, we give that the on-ramp to, to be able to have conversations and, you know, with that first book being Kids Before Racism, it, it blew up right after George Floyd. And so, mm. you know, he sold out in a couple of days after those, wow. after he was murdered. And then just been growing the, the company since then. Raised yeah. a few million dollars for some, some great black investors around the country. And now they're just, just trying to build, man, every day. It's, uh, yeah, this stuff is not for the meek, that's for sure. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really gratifying work to be able to do something and be your authentic self at all times and yeah. with amazing people that look like you from really diverse backgrounds. And, and I'm so- sure it gives you that same spark that, you know, you'd mentioned earlier, of like someone from across the country or the world buying something and it really resonates, right? Yeah. I mean, I do some of our customer service calls and I remember last Christmas time talking to a grandma in Montana, right? And so we're on the phone. I see the prefix. I see it's Montana and I'm like, yeah, like, I'm, I don't know how this call is going to go, but we'll, we'll find out. This grandma who I assume was, was white. Yeah. She reached out because she wanted a book because she believes that one of her grandkids is in the LGBTQ community. She knew that her, her kids, her grandkids' parents would not handle that well. And so she wanted to use one of our books as a way to tell her grandchild, like, I see you and I'm here for you. And no, we, uh, you know, we can, we can talk about. And so she was like, you know, which, which book do I go with? That's obvious, but not too obvious. And so it was like really, really stressful conversation, but also super surprising where yeah. she was like, this is my opportunity to show up and I'm not going to miss yeah. the opportunity. And the fact that she chose our, you know, our books to do that was really, really cool. And probably not someone that I align politically with, 
probably sure. something that, you know, we do a lot of the same life choices, but I think, you know, we can all rally around, you know, doing what's best here for the kids in our lives that we love and, and, and want to pretend. And so from that same point, it's been great. All the people that we've been able to work with and talented authors that we've been able to bring to the state. Yeah. That's a beautiful story, right? Because it's, it's what you, you started the company for. So that, that was awesome. So, yeah. hey, look, we're going to, we're going to wrap up with the show. Is there any sort of piece of advice that you'd want to leave with uh, the listeners before we wrap up? You know, 15 years in banking, working with founders, I, I always heard two things consistently. And this would be, you know, really, really successful folks, people that, you know, had yeah. everything in their life, but they, they always had the same two pieces of advice for me. One yeah. was always make time for your family and friends. Always. Just mm. trope around, you know, working 20 hours and always being on the grind. Like, that's just not the, right. the reality of, of, of living a fulfilled life. Mm. The second thing is, I wish I would have started earlier. Hmm. I think for so many of us, we, we wait for permission to do certain things. And for folks that look like us, we, we never get that commit, that permission. Right. And, you know, give yourself permission to that. Start that business. You know, I got, I got a good buddy of mine that, you know, when he meets people the first time he has them start and get their own domain in their name. And yeah. He talks about how we rent all this stuff on the internet, the World Wide web. He's like, we rent everything. He's like, the only thing yeah. you don't rent is when you have your own website. I'll, yeah. I'll show you how to do it. And like, he'll, he'll go and he'll be like, let's get harrisonwheeler.com. Right. And even if there's no yeah. website, just having that domain, knowing that you've got yeah. that real estate, like that, you know, that, that plays through a really great seed for folks. Yeah. And there's no better time than today. You know, I, I think. Yeah. All, there's so many founders that are really successful and they're faking it. Like they're, they're trying to put one foot in front of the other. They do not have it figured out. Like I guarantee yeah. they do not have it figured out regardless of where they went to school or where they worked or, you know, how much money they raised or whatever. Like they do not have it figured out. And the best mm. thing you can do is just get started like that. Again, puts yeah. you ahead of 99% of people is, you yeah. know, they had an idea, but they're sitting, you're taking your soul, mm. you're getting that domain name, you're getting it registered. You know, you're talking to, to, advisors in your in your life that can help you you're pushing it forward and that you know puts you ahead of almost everybody else yeah yeah even if it's just baby steps right you're still moving forward it's all baby steps and sometimes you move backwards right but you're you're choosing to go down that journey and you learn a ton right whether the business is successful or not it, it, that's not really the point you know there's yeah. so many things you could take from, from starting a business into you know a corporate job or you know teaching or whatever and so i think it's something that i wish more people did my bugs already gotten to my right my older daughter she started a business when COVID started at 12 and so you know she's got a Vintage clothing business she runs and makes her own money. Wow. Takes me out to dinner. All sorts of things. I love it. It's a wild I love it. Yeah. Well, hey, Steven, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for taking time. Uh, yeah, man. This is a very enlightening conversation. Glad to get to know you a bit more and also some of the stories that you have to share. How can people sort of follow up with you or find information about you? Like, how? If anyone wants to reach out, hit me up at, at PDX Steven B and that that's D P A T N, proper spelling of Steven. On both Instagram very, and Twitter. Very active on Twitter. Yeah. Very active on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. DMs are opening Twitter. Hit me up. Yeah. I always love blessing people with some books. So if you've got a kid in your life that, you know, you want to be able to have some conversations around some things that they're seeing in the world, happy to, to donate a book or two to them or their school. And again, happy to help people with, with anything related to spreadsheet that, that seems to be my, my superpower besides sneakers. So. Well, thanks so much. It's a wrap. All right. Thanks, Bill. Well, that concludes the show. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That is a huge way to show your support, and it really helps us reach more people and grow our following. 
By the way, we release a new episode every two weeks. But in the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, or YouTube at Technically Speaking HW. Again, thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. This has been a production of Technically Speaking Media.